Hi, and good morning. Welcome to the River Christian Fellowship Sunday morning service as we're all in lockdown. Well, you know, God's spirit is not locked down. And so no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, God can reach out and touch you right exactly where you are. That's the way God works. You know, it's like prayer, as we mentioned last week. It transcends the miles. It transcends borders. It has no limitations. That's the way prayer is, and that's the way God's Spirit is, too. And so as we gather together here, I just want all of you to realize that God's great hand is reaching out to you today. You know, our country and the world is seeing unprecedented things and I want to once again encourage you, God's, nothing takes God by surprise. God's word is true. I see a lot of uh, kind of wild-eyed, prophetic errors that are coming out in many people. And the Internet's full of them. They have cited that this virus is uh, the third sealed judgment in Revelation. And I don't believe that it is. Because the book of Revelation was written in order. And that's so that people that have been born again during that time of the world's worst judgment will have a way to navigate through this particular time. And so the book of Revelation is in order. So that's why you have the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh seal. And then following that, you have the trumpet judgments, one through seven. And then following that, you have the bowl judgments, one through seven as well. It's a real temptation, I think, for people who haven't spent a lot of time in studying eschatology or the study of end time things to begin to hop through the Bible and say, oh, this is the fifth trumpet judgment or whatever. No, it's not. It goes in order. You have in Revelation chapter six, a man on a horse going out conquering and to conquer. He doesn't have any arrows. Evidently, he's going to attempt to do it diplomatically, lack of arrows, you might say. But then we find war breaks out on the earth, the second horse. The third, we find death by famine, by bugs or whatever it is. It says the beasts of the earth. And that word in the Greek means any living organism. And so we could probably put uh, coronavirus in there or many others as well. Of course, you have to remember there's Ebola. There is all these other staff and very infectious diseases that are out there. And then, of course, we have death that follows everything. And one of the things that you want to remember is this. When Revelation 6 starts, I believe the church is in heaven. We find the song of the saints in Revelation chapter 5. And it says, he gave unto them a, a, a new song uh, uh, from every tongue, kindred, tribe, and nation uh, who has redeemed us to our God. You see, it's not just the Jewish nation they're singing. And we find the church there in Revelations 2 and 3. But after Revelations 2 and 3, we don't find the church on earth again. You'll find the, the word elect. You'll find the word saints. But that's not the church. Those are people that are saved during the tribulation period, the elect and the saints. So don't let your heart be troubled. Jesus said in John 14, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. 
and I go to prepare a place for you. I pray today that you realize God's provision for you, not only today, because I know a lot of people are worried about that, but also in the future. We've been going through uh, the book of Genesis here at the River Fellowship, and it's really important that we realize that being God started it all, I have no trouble in being concerned about God finishing it all. I think a lot of times people are biting their nails and they're scared, and I'm not saying that that's not necessarily a, a wrong reaction to many of the things that we see. But it's where your hope lies, what you trust in, is going to have a big difference on how you live your life each day. And if you live in fear, the Bible says God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a boldness and a sound mind. You need that sound mind. What do we fix our sound mind on? The faith in God's word. We're going to talk about that this morning. In Genesis 15, as we continue our study, last week we left off where we remember there was four kings, verses five, and the five kings took Abram's uh, nephew named Lot. And as they were hauled away, Abram said, that's not right. And Abram three had 318 people. He armed them and they all went after these five kings that had stole his nephew. And he was victorious. And God granted him the victory. And I'm sure that that probably concerned him because when you go back and realize that the four kings could not defeat the five kings, yet Abram and his 318 men destroyed or or went after the five kings and won, What a mighty victory that is. Remember, and as we talked about last week, you and God are a majority in any situation. And I think that's really important for all of us to always realize in Christ Jesus, you as a Christian, you're never alone. Well, let's go to Genesis chapter 15. And we're going to look at the continuation of the promises of God to Abram. Now, remember, God's made promises to you. Not that we repeat them mindlessly to God to either shame God into giving us what we want or in some way making God feel obligated. These promises that are recorded for us are to remind us that um, we need to be reminded. Uh, God doesn't forget, but we forget sometimes. As we're going to see, even in this great patriarch, Abram, As we read this morning, let's pray. Father, as we read these words, I pray you bring comfort to every single watcher and listener. And Lord, that we would realize our faith is in you. It's not in ourselves. It's not in a government program. It's not in the successes of our past. It's not in our degrees or our friends. It is in you. And so as we read these words this morning, may your Holy Spirit speak to us, encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Genesis, chapter 15. And it says here, after these things, what things? Well, again, the return from the slaughter of the kings. And this is also where Melchizedek met Abram, and Abram gave to him a tenth of everything that he had taken. So he says, after these things, 
the word of the Lord came to Abram. Now, this is the first time in the scripture that we find the phrase, the word of the Lord. Because again, how God comes to us and speaks to us may be different in many different situations. Sometimes the word of the Lord will come to you through reading his word. I believe it's possible for God to speak to us sometimes through dreams. I believe it's possible for God to speak to us through a friend or going to church and or hearing God's word read will also sometimes give you that that word of God that you need to carry you through to the next great challenge that God brings all of us through. You you know, God loves you so much that he's not going to just say, okay, you have faith in me, that's good enough. But God continues to stretch our faith through the faithfulness of the things that he's brought us all through so that we'll be better equipped for the bigger challenges ahead. I know a lot of times we want to just say, well, God, you know, I'm happy right here. I don't want any bigger challenges. Nah, that's not the God we serve. God's got bigger things for you than you think. And so letting God be God is so important. So the word of the Lord came to Abraham after these things, after he had this tremendous victory. And I'm sure that probably Abraham was a little concerned. Five kings being whooped by 318 people with Abram. Of course, they didn't see the invisible God of Abram, but they experienced the effect of it. I imagine that probably Abram was thinking, these guys are going to try to come back and, and, and hit me again. They're going to regroup and come back. Well, notice what it says here. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now, in this particular case, it was in a vision that God spoke to him. And as we mentioned earlier, God can speak to us in many different ways. And he said, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Always remember that. That's the same thing that God says to us, that I'm your shield, I'm your protector, and your exceeding great reward. Again, a reward is something that you get at the end of the event. You get a reward when you cross the finish line. You get a reward in heaven that God has great things for you. You know, I feel sorry for so many Christians that I've talked to in my life that say, well, I just want to get to heaven by the skin of my teeth. I don't. I want you. I want myself to have great rewards in heaven. You know, the Bible says, he that wins souls is wise. And so to equip you to be that kind of a communicator that can communicate to other people the great things God has done for you and what God will do for them, that's going to carry a reward. In other words, you're not only having your faith built, as we mentioned earlier, your faith is growing, but you're also one who helps others build their faith. That's why we're all not instantly raptured when we accept Christ as our Savior, because God's got great things for you, not only here, but to lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. And I shared this so many times, everybody living today is determining what position you're going to hold in heaven forever. So how important every day really is to have your life line up to what the Bible says. Well, he says here, I am your exceedingly great reward. I like that. But Abram said, Lord God, 
What will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Eliezer was his right-hand guy. And according to customs, you would leave what you have to those that were closest to you. Now, if you had a son or a family, you would leave your inheritance to them. But if you did not have a child, well, then you would leave it to your best friend. That's the way many people even do that today. Now, I know many people, they have in their will that they're going to help different things. And uh, I just, uh, I, I've included in, in my will things that will help the kingdom of God here at the church and other things that will continue to preach the gospel into my family. So he says, but Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless? What he's saying is this. God, you promised that my seed would outnumber the sands of the sea. If you go back to the first part of chapter 12, you'll, you'll see this promise that was laid out for Abraham that through you, all the nations of the world would be blessed. God says, I'm your exceedingly great reward. And Abraham is kind of saying something like, well, God... I have no one to give my inheritance to, so what? What's the big deal? I, I can't pass anything along. So if I have this great reward, I can't bless those in my family with it. And so I think in the midst of his great victory that Abram had, I think there's a little bit of melancholy heart that's there saying, well, God, it's great that I won this and this happened, but for what reason? You see, God looks at things different than we do. I've shared this many times as well. Our Father, which art in heaven. Remember, God's got a different perspective of daily life than you do. The Bible warns us, don't judge anything according to its appearance. But yet you might say, well, that's all we have. Well, that's true unless you're a Christian. Then you have God's heavenly view of everything. Our Father, which art in heaven. God's got a different perspective of everything you're going through, different than yours. That's okay. That's great. I, I want God's perspective. I might see it as doom and gloom, or I might say, oh, wow, this is the real deal. This is great. And God says, be careful. All that glitters ain't gold. You got to be careful sometimes, because this is the way that sometimes the world presents itself. So as he says here, but Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I, I go childless, and the only heir I have is my friend Eliezer? Then Abram said, look, have, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house that is my heir. I have no one that was really born from me that's really my offspring that I can give these things to. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, speaking of Eliezer, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside and said, now look towards the stars of heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. God reiterated to him, what he'd already told him. 
Now, again, it isn't that we have to go over and over to repeat these promises as if God forgot. I, I oftentimes, uh, sometimes you'll go into different bookstores or whatever, and you'll see Jabed's prayer. And I'm just going to recite Jabed's prayer like it's my little, my little, you know, eeny beeny, chilly beeny thing I'm going to do. No, that's not the way God works. It's not an incantation. A prayer is not something that, well, you know, God, I prayed this and now you're obligated. You do it my way because I use my faith words. Now, no, that's not the way God works. These things are written to remind us, us. We're the ones that forget. Have you ever noticed that? Ever went to the store, went into the store and go, what I come in here for? Why is that? We forget. You don't have to be in your late 90s to have Alzheimer's and realize you can't remember things. We're easily distracted. But God knows that. So that's why he writes things down in his word. And oftentimes he repeats them. Not so I can repeat them back to God as if God doesn't care about me or is illiterate or is forgotten. But that I need to remember why God wrote those things. Otherwise, I can begin to believe that God forgot me. Well, He brings him outside. Now, one of the things you'll find in life, God will use oftentimes very natural creation of his to remind you of promises that he's given you. Sometimes when I'll be outside and I'll look up in the sky and I'll see clouds. And I think about that and I think, well, God, you know, it's funny that your word says you're going to come in the clouds. And I look at those clouds and I wonder, are you going to come in that one or that one or whatever? It's funny. God will remind us sometimes as things as simple as clouds or when you see a hair from your head that is on the dresser and the Bible says every one of your hairs are numbered. You you look at the stars in the sky. God said to Abram, that's the way your descendants are going to be. You know, it's the simple things that I have found in life that God will communicate to us. He didn't make it complicated. In fact, he said, except a man becomes a child, he'll not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not in understanding, but in simple faith, understanding what God wants to do for you and me. So he says, he brought him outside and he says, the stars are going to be like your descendants. Notice verse six and Abram believed in the Lord. Isn't that weird? It's a decision of the heart. He just said, yep. Okay, God, I'll I'll take you at your word. And so it says in verse 6 that he believed God and God accounted it to Abraham for righteousness. It's weird that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And here's one of those great verses that it's by faith we're saved. He believed God, and God says, deal. See, that's the way it is when we accept Christ as our Savior. We just say, okay, Lord, I I believe you died on the cross for me, and you took away my sins. So please do that in Jesus' name. And God says, deal. Just like that. I've had people say, well, how could just a prayer or just a a simple statement of faith change your, your life, change your destiny? And I've often said, well, you know, it's something interesting, but you have a title of your car. You have a, 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 a title deed on your house. 
And by just simply signing uh, that piece of paper, either will allow you to live in a new house or to move out of the one you're in. Signing your name on a piece of paper, on a pink slip, on a car will no longer allow you to own that car. And that's just a simple signature. So when it comes to eternity, God does something far greater than pen and ink. He takes you at your word. And that's a good thing. So when we say, I believe in you, Lord, God says, okay, I'll account that to you as righteousness. And see, it's by faith we're saved. Not works of righteousness, let let any man would boast. And this is the great problem that oftentimes we find in our lives. And so he says, so then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land, the land of Canaan, to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? Now, it is interesting to me. (laughs) This is funny. Because one verse, he believes God. And almost the next verse, he says, so how will I know what you're saying is true? Hmm. Sound a little bit like you and me? How we can see how God has delivered us through every single problem in our life. And yet it seems like the very next trial will go, God, where are you? I, I can't find you. And, you know, we're, we're, we're worried and things like that. Abram was just like us. And yet it's interesting that oftentimes they would front Abraham to Jesus as if he was a superstar. We really study the life of Abram, Abraham later on as God changed his name. And uh, he was quite a rascal sometimes. He told Pharaoh that uh, his wife was his sister. Now, well, it was kind of his half-sister, so he was only half-lying. But nevertheless, he was doing it to deceive Pharaoh. And yet, they would look at Jesus and say, well, our father Abraham as if he was a superstar, not realizing that Abram had lapses of faith, would lie, would do all kinds of things. But yet he continued to hang in there, serve God, and God accounted to his life that is righteousness. Remember, God does that to you too. You know, I've talked to a lot of people that say, well, I'd like to be a Christian, but I'm afraid I'll fail. Well, let me tell you, you will at times in your life. You just will. Just the way it works. But John tells us in the epistles of John, chapter 1, 1 John, he says, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, which is Christ Jesus. We have somebody that will make up the difference of what we are not. And that is so important because we never approach God in our righteousness. We approach God in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He, he's what paid the price for us. So, he says to him, God speaks to Abram now, and they get into the deal, the art of the deal. Here it is. So in verse 9, God said to Abram, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. By the way, uh, the third year is the prime year. It's also interesting. It was the third year in which Jesus was crucified after he began his earthly ministry when he was 30 years old. So it's kind of an interesting picture here. Verse 10, then he brought all these to him and he cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite 
the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. There's, there's some thought why, because maybe the, a bird, a turtle dove, is a representative of the Holy Spirit. It's not to be divided. We know that Jesus' body was, you might say not divided, but you might say brutally beaten for us as he was whipped with a, uh, with, by the Romans um, before he was crucified. That covenant that God the Father made with us through Jesus Christ. Well, anyway, it says, and when the, and, and notice it says, he put them on both sides. And so what would happen, and we find this other places in the Bible, they would cut the animals in two, and then you would walk between the animals. So you'd lay animal on one side, half of it, the other half, blood covenant, blood sacrifice, you might say, and they would walk between it, reciting what the covenant was between the two people. Now, the idea was this is what would happen to you if you break this covenant. That's how serious uh, this blood covenant type of thing was. That you were actually saying, I, I will identify with a divided carcass if I break this covenant with you. Now, remember, God is the one that told Abram, go get the animals. God is the initiator of the covenant. He always is. He's always the one that will do better than you. We are responders. He's the initiator. Always remember that. And here's why that's important. Because the Bible says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I really believe that God knocks on every person's heart at least once in their life to respond to him. You never want to turn that away. God is the initiator. You're the responder. What have you done with that call. What have you done with God's love? See, that's what's really important. We have to look at that and say, well, Lord, uh, you've given me a little. I, I want to take it out, make more and, and, and lead more people to you. See, God's going to reward that. And that's good. You're laying up for yourself treasure in heaven. Well, this covenant that God initiated, Abraham now is walking between them. And notice verse 11. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Wow, that's weird. These, these carcasses that were divided, Abraham is now waiting for God to walk through the divided carcasses and vultures come. Do you know there's always vultures that want to take away the covenant that God has made with you? That blood covenant through Jesus Christ? There's always vultures that do that. Well, notice it says Abraham... Abram shooed them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Wow, that's kind of different, isn't it? So in the midst of this deal that God is making, God gives to Abram a vision, you might say, a dream in this trance of what was going to happen to him. Not only God is in this covenant saying, I'm going to give you this land. You're going to have descendants that are going to outnumber the stars of the sea. But also your descendants are going to go through some hard times. Now, I wish as many times in the Bible, we could just close the book and say, no, I just, I'm a king's kid. I want air and tinted glass. I, I just want to do it my way. I don't want to have any fears. I don't want to have any alarms. I don't want to have any, any heartache in my life. But you know, remember, 
Fruit is always grown in the valley, not on the mountaintops. And we, we develop our relationship with God oftentimes through the many things that we go through. And so now he gives him this, this dark vision, you might say, and he begins to tell him about it. He says, then God said to Abram, no, certainly. Now, this is in his vision. This is in this, this horrific dream that he gets right before God signs the contract on this, on this, uh, uh, these parted animals and this blood covenant and all. He says to Abram, no, certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. This is exactly what happened when the children of Israel went down into Egypt. And will serve them, speaking of the Egyptians, and they will afflict them 400 years. Also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. And we remember that tremendous judgment that came upon the land of Egypt. In fact, uh, what's noteworthy of this, Egypt was a world power under that, up to that time. After Moses and the children have left Egypt, they were still a country, but they never, they never ever again were ever a world power. That was the end of them. God, in fact, did judge them. Afterward, they will come out with great possessions. And we remember this was one of the things that Moses told the children of Israel, go borrow from your masters everything you can, get all the gold, get everything you can, because when we leave in the morning, it's going to go with you. And not only did the possessions of Egypt leave with the children of Israel, but also all those lambs that they had eaten the night before left with them. And by the way, when we go out on our journey, we have the lamb inside of us too. Remember that. And so he says in verse 14, I will also judge the nation whom they serve. And so now for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace and you will be buried at a good old age. Now, Abram was about 85 right here where we're reading this. Now, his son, this promised one, didn't come along for another 15 years. Oh, I know sometimes we get impatient when we have to wait for that uh, microwave oven to ding so we can get our dinner. But imagine having, imagine having waited, imagine having waited for 15 more years on top of all the years that he had already waited. But in the fourth generation, they will return here, speaking of the land of Canaan, which they did. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. The uh, iniquity of the descendants of Ham, the curse because of what they did to Noah, was not yet completed. And it came to pass, when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there was a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. Wow. So God not only made him a covenant, gave him prophetic word concerning his descendants, but then God shows up kind of like a, a burning oven. I, I picture it kind of like a, like a fire that is burning that would be passing through. And then imagine a torch going through as well. So it's, notice he says, on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And so really, 
There was only a couple times that Israel ever possessed all that land. Uh, Some of it was under Jeroboam II, and some of it was under Solomon. But basically, they never really lived up to the full potential of what God given them because of lack of faith. And so I believe that's always an issue. Now, he goes into the areas where they're going to possess the land. The Kenites, the Kenizelites, the Catalomites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, Rephlam, where the giants came from, where uh, Goliath was from, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. All that land, he told Abraham, you're going to possess, your, your, your descendants are going to possess those things. And I look at this and I realize that God in his faithfulness is always there for us. And just as God said to Abram, so it came true. And we find that in the book of Exodus and other places, how God took the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt when they went down to sojourn there because of a famine. They made them slaves, but then God brought them all back into the land of Canaan. And then we find God fulfilling his promises as God is still fulfilling his promises to the nation of Israel today. You know, it's interesting. It's the only covenant land deal in recorded history where God said, I am giving you this land forever. And what's really weird, Luke chapter 21, Jesus said, Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And then Jesus went on to say, and the generation that sees this is the last generation. I believe that's you and me. When we realize that when Jesus said that, Jerusalem was under Roman control. It was probably a little bit of a a laugh-at prophecy, because how would Jerusalem ever come back under Jewish control when the Roman Empire controlled everything? Oh, but it gets worse. 70 AD, a Roman general named Titus came in and leveled the city of Jerusalem, burned it with fire. And the Jewish people were only allowed, those that survived, they estimate there was probably upwards towards a million Jews that died in that that, uh, conquest. But once a year, the Jewish people were allowed to go back into their burned down city on the day that Titus destroyed it. And yet Jesus said that Jerusalem will be under Jewish control. The Bible says that the Jewish nation was scattered among the nations. You can find a record of that found in Ezekiel chapter 37, where the nation of Israel was scattered among the nations. And God spoke to Ezekiel and said, Ezekiel, can these bones be made to live again? And Ezekiel said to God, thou knowest, beats me. And he said, speak to the bones. And there was a rattling and a shaking and the bones came together. And then pretty soon muscle and skin came on them. And then he said, prophesy to the wind that the wind would come and the wind went into their lungs and they became a living soul and they stood up. And he said, so I will bring together my nation Israel that has been scattered among the nations. Ezekiel 37, 38, and 39 deal with Israel in the last days, the days I believe we're in right now. Because soon as the nation of Israel was was 
once again gathered from the four winds of the earth. The Bible says they move into their homeland again, this land that we're reading about right here. And yet, soon as they do, there's a coalition, the Bible says, of Arab neighbors coupled with Russia that come against Israel, the Bible says, in the last days to the land of the unwalled villages. Now, just up to a couple hundred years ago, a city's strength was in its wall that was around the city. But modern-day warfare has rendered walls around cities ineffective, so they don't put walls around cities anymore. The Bible says they come to take a spoil. And when we look what's going on right now in the world, and I believe the economic stress that the coronavirus is going to have on the world, I believe it's going to set up the stage for Russia and the Arab neighbors to come to take a spoil. Most people don't know that Israel is one of the fourth largest exporter of food, fruit and things in the world. And so when you stop to think about it, there was a giant natural gas uh, uh, find that was off the north end of, of Israel. Uh, the minerals in the Dead Sea. Um, all the things, the technology that Israel possesses, it's quite a prize. And when you realize that the world is being devastated by this virus... And also by locusts. Now, the Bible tells us there's going to be pestilences in the last days. And one of those that we find mentioned in the Bible often is the plagues of locusts. They devastated northern Egypt. They moved in through Saudi Arabia and through that area. Now they're moving towards China. And you look at this and you wonder, wow, God, this is so amazing. To see the world, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, the world in perplexity. Perplexity, the Bible says, among nations. That means problems with no way out. Jesus said all these are the beginning of sorrows. I believe what we're seeing today in the world is the beginning of sorrows. Friends, this is not the tribulation yet. Don't let anybody fool you. The Antichrist has not made his appearance yet. So we know it's not. But I look at the numbers, and we all watch it nightly as we see these numbers of how many people have contracted uh, COVID-19, this uh, derivative of the uh, coronavirus, how many people day uh, a day die. And you stop to think about that. This is nothing compared to what you're going to find when Revelation chapter 6 begins. The Bible tells us that in Revelation 6, when those seals are opened, one quarter of the earth's population dies. We're not there yet. COVID-19, not here, not, not, not to the level of what we're going to see. But the Bible tells us one quarter of the world's population isn't infected, it dies. Now, that's pretty important when you stop to look at that. The Bible says that these things that break out on the earth are during that. It, that's in the first three and a half years of the Antichrist reign. By the time you get to the end of the Antichrist reign, the Bible tells us that every living thing in the sea has died. 
All the trees and the grass are burned up. The water on earth is not fit to drink. Famine is everywhere. And by that time, two-thirds of the world's population is dead. No, friends, this is not the end of the world yet. It's going to get a whole lot more. Now, will it get better before it gets worse? I don't know. We're going to have to wait to see. But you know, one of the things I'll tell you, God has given all of us a great opportunity right now to preach his word. You know, there's a lot of very scared people out there. 44% of America, they did a survey this past week. 44% of America believes that this is a wake-up call from God. Well, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? 54% of the world believes this has nothing to do with God whatsoever. Uh, The other percentage points, they don't know, they don't care, whatever. The point is, is that there's a lot of instability. And you, Jesus said, are the light of the world. Let your light shine. If you're not a Christian this morning, I just want to invite you to consider Jesus. You know, we don't know when the Lord's going to come take his church home. The Bible says, in a moment, twinkling of an eye. We're going to be changed. I pray that you're ready to go when he comes. Jesus said, behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me. If you've never prayed, you've never asked Jesus into your life, or you're, you're watching this today and you're saying, well, you know, I went to church when I was a kid. I, I believed in Jesus. I, I accept the Lord. But, you know, just the, just the appearance, the glitter and glamour of the world just kind of caught my heart and my faith has gone cold. I just want to invite you this morning to um, come home to Jesus. We're going to pray right now, and you can ask the Lord to come in your life, forgive you of your sins, and let God do what he wants to do. Because, again, your life is valuable. You know, if you're accepting Christ today as your Savior, do you realize that you're in a circle of friends that all, no minister, no pastor, no Sunday school teacher will ever probably reach? Do you realize how valuable you are to the kingdom of God? Even if you get saved today, to be able to share with them what God has done for you. People have said, well, I don't know the Bible that well. I'm not a Bible scholar. What do I say? All I can tell you is this. You can share what God's done for you. So do that. Let your light shine. Be that light that Jesus says you are. Be that voice of his. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, we're going to pray right now. And you can ask the Lord to come into your life. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I invite you into my life today. And I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. I ask you now to forgive my sins. And from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. So make me the best I can be for you. Write my name in your book of life so I can live forever with you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me so I'll have boldness and I'll have love for people to reach out to them. And thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. Amen. That's a covenant, just like we read about. The covenant that we walk through is Jesus. He's the one that provided that blood sacrifice, you might say, for us. Now the Bible tells you to simply read his word. Get to know your king. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's a good place to start. John chapter 3. Just read. Let the Lord speak to you. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, I'll I'll send you one. 
Uh, I've got a couple little, I've got little books called Time to Grow. It covers the basics. You know, what about Christian friends? Where do I go to church? Just basic things. I wrote it real simple. I'm not into a lot of words and, uh, you know, where you've got to spend six years to find out the bullet points of what you need. It's very concise. I'll send that to you for free. And you just uh, let God do what he wants to do in your life. He's got a great plan for you. So much greater than you. And imagine all the stuff that we do. You know, I've used this illustration so many times, but it's so true. And maybe it's a simple thing that will remind you. You go to a secondhand store or to a yard sale. And I remember looking into a, a box and it said anything in the box, 25 cents. And I looked through, there were some old books and some magazines and, oh, you know, soap dishes and some trophies. Yeah, you know, the ones that sat on a mantle above your fireplace for a quarter. And I thought, how sad that somebody took their skill, time, efforts to get this trophy to only have it being sold at a yard sale for a quarter. And I said, God, please don't ever let my life at the end of my life, the things that I've done, be sold in a box for a quarter. You were, des- you were designed for things much greater than that. And oftentimes we develop or we, we spend all of our efforts on things that don't matter. And the things that do matter in eternity, we oftentimes don't spend any time. And we wonder why we're empty. Well, I did all these things and I should feel accomplished. I should feel fulfilled. I got this trophy saying how great I am. And at the end of your life, in fact, what was really sad is they were still in the box for a quarter. Nobody even wanted them. Your life is worth more than that. God's got a trophy for you in heaven. As we read earlier, God said to Abram, I'm your great reward. Much better than an old trophy. Let God be your great reward. Let God use you in these days. Don't be fearful. God's not giving us a spirit of fear. Be wise. Heard a saying one time. It said, um, it said, pray and wash your hands because Jesus and germs are everywhere. <laughs> well, that's probably true. But the thing you want to remember is that God's got something greater for you than just to exist each day. Always remember that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time we've spent together today and just ask you that you would just bless each person listening. Father, remove fear. Replace it with with that of reward forever with you. And so, God, may we settle ourselves in you today. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us the spirit of boldness, God in these days that we live in, and we thank you for everything you've done for us, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us, and Holy Spirit, for empowering us to be about your will. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, and um, be sure to catch us on uh, To Every Man and Answer. Uh, It's live now on Facebook. You can Check it out. It's really cool. Uh, and uh, we get together every weekday afternoon, 4 to 5, mountain time, mountain daylight time, I guess you might say. Uh, and so you're, you're welcome to, uh, you know, join us, answer a lot of questions about the Bible, things I think you'll really, uh, really help you. And um, 
If you've got a question, you can always, uh, of course, type it in and I'll do my best to answer it for you as well. If you don't have a Bible, I want to get you one. If you don't, uh, uh, if, if you, uh, oh, by the way, get in fellowship too. Be around people that love Jesus. That's going to be important once we can again. But right now we have this. It works and uh, we still fellowship together. And so let God bless you. And again, we'll see you on Every Man and Answer or next Sunday.